God gave me a word. God often gives me single, singular word, just a word, one word. And this word is not in my notes, Sean. <laughs> and it's the word counterbalance. Everybody say counterbalance. You know, so, uh, so you know, you got something heavy here on a scale and then you put something over here and you balance it out you know, to find out what the weight is here. That's the way they, you know, they used to sell goods, you know. So you got the counterbalance over here, right? So, so a counterbalance evens things out. And so you are a counterbalance to the cultural trends of our day, to the animosity and the anger and the vitriol, the bitterness, all that. How many, how many believe that? So I want to talk about the love of God in you being the counterbalance to what you experience every day. How's that? And it's not anything you haven't heard, but, you know, if you're like me, you leak it out and you get aggravated and you got to remind yourself. So here we are. You ready? Um, so how, question, how are you doing with uh, loving people who mistreat you and say things that should not be said to you or to others about you? How are you doing with that? Don't answer out loud. So, so how many know we're called to, answer, to love people that are not like us, that don't like us? We're called to love people who disagree with us, yes or no? And who even say mean and nasty things about us, yes or no? We're called to love them. So how you doing with that? How you doing with loving people? So don't forget that Jesus prayed for the soldiers who plucked his beard, uh, beat him uh, so much that he was disfigured, Isaiah 50. Uh, three says so much that his appearance didn't look like, I think it's Isaiah 52, nine, his appearance didn't even look like a man. It was horrible. Uh, but on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Is that love? I have to ask myself, could I do that? And then Stephen, the first martyr of the church, they're, they're chucking stones at him. He's kneeling down. He sees Jesus who was, who was seated but is standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Don't hold, them against, don't hold this against them. Now, let me just, when I say this, let me tell you what comes to my mind. When I first came to the Lord, I'm not proud of this. But, you know, I was, I was hanging out with the druggy guys as a teenager and all that in high school and stuff. And, and I was filled with malice. And I didn't, even, I didn't even know what the word really meant. I heard the word, but never really studied it out. Malice is when you want bad things to happen to people who do you wrong. And I got to be honest, I was filled with malice. So instead of like, Stephen, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge, it's like, Lord, let really bad things happen to them. Let them get in a car wreck, let something bad happen. I mean, that's bad, right? So, you know, honestly, when, I, when Jesus washed my heart, I had to let him really get a soapy rag and wash my head, my brain. Because until I was filled with malice, and I found myself after I came to the Lord and God, in fact, I was reason, reading Ephesians 4.32, um, uh, well, 4.29 through 32, and, and one of the words it uses there is, uh, is malice, get rid of any, any unforgiveness and malice. And when I came to malice, I was like, I had to find out what it was. The Holy Spirit tagged it. When I looked it up, I said, well, I'm full of that. You know, I've been, I've been, I've been wanting people to, you know, I've been wanting you to get even with a lot of people who have done me some, some really stupid ways for a long time. So, Lord, you got to forgive me, right? It's the opposite of what Stephen did. So, how about Jesus after he was erected, resurrected, told Mary to go, go tell his disciples, and he didn't say, and that scoundrel Peter. No, he just said, tell my disciples and Peter, right? Uh, that I'm, then I'm raised from the dead because he pointed him out because, you know, Peter denied him three times. So he, he made a point to love Peter, even though 
Peter did a very unlovely thing, unlike many of the other disciples. Um, so Jesus, again, taught us we should love our enemies, pray for those who use us to our advantage. So today, the cultural trend today, because everybody's full of angst and, and aggravated, and, and we're aggravated sometimes too. Is that true? So, so how that is manifest, venom, anger, I've got these words written down, animosity, revenge, vitriol. Vitriol comes from the word, where we get the word spleen, so it's bitterness. Um, hatred, malice, sarcasm, blasphemous words, vindictiveness, division. How I many of that's everywhere? Is that true? I don't have to go too much. You know it's true. You live in the same world I do. So, so we got to steer clear of that. And God's called us to be the counterbalance for all that. Does that make sense? So, so you might be in a harsh environment in your office or, or in the place you work or in your home um, or, or among your friends or whatever or in school, you know, but God's called you nonetheless to be a counterbalance. You can reset. Think about the fact that God wants you to reset the trajectory that may be in the atmosphere where you are. So it, you know, it may be caustic and it may divide, be divisive and people are saying some ugly things and maybe they're including you in that. But see, you're a believer and God's called you to be a light in that dark place. Yes or no? So, so that's what I want to talk about tonight. Is that okay? So we got we to gotta refuse to allow ourselves to be caught up in other people's behaviors and other people's angst because we used to be there. I, I used to be the self-centered person and I was the one that would call people names and you know, I, I, I think at age, I don't even like to say it, but you know, at age 14, I had, somebody taught me about a voodoo doll. I got me a voodoo doll and made it, stick it on the wall, and I stick a pin it. This, and I put somebody's name on this for so-and-so. <laughs> Hope they have headaches every day. <laughs> you know, that's bad, y'all. I mean, I'm not proud of that at all. Jesus cleansed that sin. Did he? You better believe it, and I'm glad he did. So, you know, but people are caught up in all this kind of stuff. And uh, now with social media and all the stuff, it's always available all the time. It's like in your face constantly. And people are using words, my Lord, that I, you know, you'd hear in the back room. And now they're in the front room. And, and you know, for everybody to see, it's crazy. So Second Timothy 3, this is familiar. This is Amplified New Testament, which amplifies the original meaning of the test. I just want to read it because it's so apropos to what we're dealing with today. Uh, but understand this, that in the last days will come or set in, now watch, perilous times of, of great stress. Everybody say great stress. And trouble, hard to deal with and hard to bear. Now hard to deal with and hard to bear, that's something so... I can't go far with that at all. I got a lot to say, but, but I just want to say this. I've said this umpteen times, and I hope you've listened to me. So, so listen, I can't encourage you enough. You better get you some food stored up. Now, I'm not joking. Have you noticed empty shelves? Perilous times of great stress and tough trouble, hard to deal with, hard to bear. I got a lot I could say, but I'm not going to say any more than that. Get you some food. Get you a way to have potable or drinkable water. And have a way to charge your stuff up, you know. I've got some solar things. I've, you know, I guess I could be a prepper. But you got to do something because things are getting really heated up. And uh, at this point, anything could happen at any time. And, and I'm not here. And how many believe on, on the other side that the Lord takes care of us? Yes or no? But, but it's a Joseph time. And Joseph stored up for seven years for the other seven years. 
uh, seven years of lack uh, during his time when there was a famine. So we're in a Joseph time. So when I read that, that thing came to me. Um, extra food, get you some cash on hand, etc. Just be ready. Don't live hand to mouth and don't, don't be the person that's got to go to the grocery store every night to find something to eat that night to cook for your family. Have some stuff in the cupboard. Have some extra, right? If you haven't done that yet, you is behind. Go catch up. All right. Uh, number two, uh, verse two, for people will be lovers of self and utterly self-centered, lovers of money and aroused by an inordinate or greedy desire for wealth, Not proud and arrogant, contemptuous boasters. They will be abusive, blasphemous, scoffing, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and profane. They say nasty things. They act in nasty ways. That's today, y'all. I mean, things that are holier, man, they're just, they're trampled on, right? Um, uh, They will be without natural human affection, callous and inhuman, relentless, admitting of no truce or appeasement. Wow, is that not today? Wow. Uh, Relentless, admitting of no truce or appeasement. They will be slanderers, false accusers, troublemakers, intemperate, Intemperate and loose in morals and conduct, uncontrolled and fierce, haters of good. Now, now let me, I want to just be aware of something. Uh, When times get tough, you'll see how wicked the human heart is and how self-centered the human heart is. So regardless of what you do to get ready for anything that comes, uh, just be aware that, you know, if I'm doing it, my stuff belongs to you. If I'm self-centered, I'm wrong. Yes or no? And then if somebody that doesn't know God finds out what you got, they're going to come looking for it. And guess what? If God's got to sprout, so, sprout something for you to eat out of the ground, how many know he'll do it? If, he, if he's got to catch, catch an animal in the bush near your house so you'll have some meat and, and, and teach you how to strip it down, he'll do it. Yes or no? So, so don't, don't be um, self-centered with all this stuff. Intemperate and loose, and loose in morals and conduct, uncontrolled and fierce, haters of good. When people don't get their way and, and we're going into an era of time that I think is going to be more difficult than I like because I've been praying and I sense things. God doesn't tell you everything, but enough, I know enough to know that I need to be ready. And, this, and, and then just be prepared for people to be unnice to you. And, and you're going to and we're, we're supposed to love them anyway, right? Okay, just, just be aware. Uh, they will be treacherous, betrayers, rash, inflated with self-conceit, be lovers of sensual pleasures and vain amusements more than, and rather than lovers of God, although they hold a form of piety, true religion, they deny and reject and are strangers to the power of it. Their conduct belies the genuineness of their profession. Avoid all such people, turn away from. That means some people that go to church will treat you that way. Is that what they're saying? They say they're believers, but they're, they're, how many know today there's a lot of people believer in name only? Huh? A bino. Are you a bino? Believer in name only? Make an acronym. <laughs> I never thought of it. That was spur of the moment. I, you do what you want to with that one. Why don't you put that tomorrow on your, on your social media? Don't be a bino. Anyway, <laughs> the good news is God's given us a love so that we can love the way he does. And, and the idea behind it is, listen, is not that you just selfishly use it. How many believe that God wants us to use the love he's given us to affect the atmosphere everywhere we go? Not, 
not for the atmosphere to infect us, but we are to affect the atmosphere, right? And so think about the tensions and the anxiety and all that. And then the self-centeredness that people often speak with when you're in a social setting or business setting or whatever. See, we can counteract with a counterbalance again. Romans 5, 5, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit <clears throat> who was given to us. So the idea here is when you're born again, God literally places a deposit inside of us and it's love. Everybody say love. Say this, God has deposited in me a deposit of love. Now, see, I pray and I remind myself and I say, Lord, can I remind my, me that you placed your love in me and when I think love, I think Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, there are eight manifestations of love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. And they're all there. If, if you want to know more about that, my podcasts every Tuesday and Thursday go back and I did a whole bunch of them on the fruit of the Spirit. All of it's the love of God. Then 1 John three fourteen passion translation is so good. Yet we can be assured that we have been translated from spiritual death into spiritual life because we love the family of believers. Then he adds this addendum, a loveless life remains spiritually dead. So if, if I never am a counterbalance and I always acquiesce to my surrounding and I give in, and I'm angry with people who treat me wrong, and I never act any other way, John was very clear and said, you may not have Jesus in you, the Holy Spirit in you. He said, a loveless life. Now, that doesn't mean you're not challenged. It doesn't mean there's that, that you know, you got rough edges and you need to straighten up a lot like me. But it means that at least you know you need to go there, and you're probably doing a lot. Lord, forgive me, I didn't do that right. So if you never do that, then, you know, something's not right, right? That's what he said. Um, we've been translated from spiritual death into spiritual life because we love. And, and then he included the family of believers. But how about the unbelievers too? We're to love them too, right? Of course. Um, so um, uh, this love has a God element in it. Um, and I've talked about this so much. In fact, one of the next books I want to write is on love. I got a lot to say about love, and I've taught on it a lot throughout my ministry. But um, two words uh, that set this love apart, the first one's unconditional. A person doesn't have to do anything or to meet certain conditions for me to love them. They can be a crooked old rascal, mean as a snake, and I'm supposed to love them. Because that's the way God loves us, right? He loved us when we were yet sinners. That means we didn't do it right or think it right nor act it right. He just loved us. So unconditional means there's no conditions for a person to meet for me to love them the Bible way. And again, this love is not a love of feeling. It's a love of action. So this means that I can love people I have no feelings for. Right? So do I love, do I act in loving ways? Say this another way. Do I act in loving ways when I don't feel it towards people who do me wrong and they, and they don't meet the conditions. You know, some people have, have you met a very conditional person? Yes or no? Are you a very conditional person? Don't answer that. As a per person got to act a certain way, dress a certain way, look a certain way, speak a certain way, respond a certain way before you'll give them the time of day. Well, you are one snooty person if that's you. No, that's minus love. So unconditional. Secondly, self-sacrificial. This love puts itself last and, um, and puts others first. You know, it's really funny. 
I was at the grocery store the other day buying some. You know, Susan's away in Alabama. She'll be back Thursday. Thank you, Jesus. So I was at the grocery store buying something to eat for my mother and I. So my mother lives with me, you know. So I was paying, you know, and, and I got me some cash back. And, and uh, she asked me if I wanted certain designations of money. And I said, well, and here's what I said. I said, well, I mean, you know, whatever you got is fine with me. Just give me a lump sum, bigger bills, fine. Or, so I said, well, I don't want to put you out. And she didn't have a whole lot of whatever she was. And, and then I said, and, and I didn't mean to say it. I said, well, you know, life ain't about me. And she looked at me because I don't think she ever heard that. Did, do you know people need to see who you are in the little things? And I had an impression that God touched her heart. And I didn't mean, I did not mean to say it, honest. Um, but people are so self it's a weird word, self-aggrandizing. That means they look to meet their own needs first. Are you that kind of person? If you are, say, God, maybe that's the way you've been, your predisposition all your life. Ask God to change you. I've been a very self-centered person when I was young, and, you know, everything was all about me. And you know what the tendency is as you age and get older and get up and you, I'm getting up there. I don't know what there is yet. But you know what a lot of people do? They give themselves permission to be not nice. Because I deserve to be treated a certain way. I deserve, I deserve to be served. No, you don't. No, you don't. We should be servants lifelong till we take our last breath. Don't look for somebody else to take care of what you can. Do it yourself. Even if it hurts. None of that's in my notes. Self-sacrificial. You get the idea, right? So everybody say unconditional. All right, all right. So, so are you doing that? Don't answer out loud. So, so do you put conditions on people? If you do, say, God, I repent. Take them off. Are you putting conditions on your spouse? <clears throat> well, I, some things I can't say in mixed company. Don't put conditions on your spouse anywhere. Well, I'll be nice to you if uh, well, you'll have fun if, no, no, you love your spouse. Stop putting the conditions on them because you know what? What you do to others, they do back to you. It's the boomerang effect, is it not? Unconditional, then self-sacrificial. Question, ask yourself, do I put myself last? Do I put others first? See, do, you, do you do that? You know, do, are you the last one? If you're at a table with people in a restaurant and, and, and they're pouring water and you let yourself be last or, or the waiter's, waitress about to, you know, take up the food order, you say, well, take, do them first. Do, do, it, you invited somebody to lunch, maybe you got a couple, it's you and your spouse or whatever, a bunch of friends. Do you let, well, you do them first. What do you do? Do you always speak up first? Uh, conversations, question. When, when you meet somebody new, do you talk about you? Or do you shut up and let them talk about them? Self-sacrificial. So you don't need to answer out loud, you just need to think, right? So the idea behind this, I want to spawn, you know, a desire to change, right? Because, you know, even when I'm preaching sometimes, I say, I got to do better on that, right? Unconditional. Everybody say unconditional. Self-sacrificial. So you're a counterbalancer. You got it? So five things we need to know about love. I'm going to go through this fairly quickly. You're ready to listen quick? Uh, the notes are online. I forgot to say it, victorychurchraleigh.com if you're online or you're new here. 
uh, they're online and you can follow. I won't have time to go over all this, but I'm going to try. Uh, number one, five things we need to know about this love. Jesus gave the Jews two commands to love, and those two commands absorbed the ten. That's very familiar. If you've read this any length of time, um, love absorbs the law. The ten commandments are absorbed in the ideology of agape uh, uh, love. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him, Jesus, a question testing him, Matthew twenty-two thirty-five. 35. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Verse 36, verse 37, Jesus said to him, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And that was a good sometimes just go over this, good to go over and say, Lord, do I love you with all of my heart? And sometimes when the Bible talks about heart, it's talking about your entire inward person or do you reserve some parts of your inward life to things you like that God doesn't like? That is not loving God with all your heart. Then he, then he goes a little bit deeper, with all your heart, with all your soul. The soul is the, in, the inner contents of a human being. That would be your spiritual life, your mental life, your emotional life, your volitional life, your, your choices. Do I love God with my choices? Do I love God with what I allow myself to be ruled by with emotions? Do I love God with what I think about? If it's displayed on a screen, would other people say, you're a great believer or you got work to do? See, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, uh, and all your mind. The first, this is the first and great commandment. Second's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands hang all the law and all the prophets. I can't do the second one. I, I can't love others until I love God first. Because if I love God first, he teaches me who I am and he lets me see myself the way he sees me. That puts value on me. And if you devalue you, you devalue others. And that's where our culture, we got, we got empty sold people in America today. They're full of everything but God. They're full of drugs. They're full of drink. They're full of sex. They're full of things. They're full of uh, pleasures. They're full of all kinds of partying. But if you're full of God, you don't need a lot of that stuff. Most of that you just don't need. You get to enjoy what he provides you, right? So when I love God with all my heart first, it puts an impetus in me because I feel whole. I feel well. I feel uh, my needs are met. I'm not a needy person. If you're a really needy person, if you, if you get to know Jesus well and give him all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then you know what? You can love that cantankerous rascal at work and that wayward spouse and that aggravating self-centered child who acts so much like you did when you were young. Number two, God, Jesus gave believers a new commandment which, if obeyed, fulfills all the others. So he just pinches the nail on the other side of the board. Um, uh, to you know, use a construction term, John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I've loved you, that you also love one another. And, and here's the clincher, by this all men will know you're my disciples. If you have love for one another the way that I loved you. So, so he, loved, he loved Peter when he denied him. He loved Jerusalem even though it was the city that persecuted him the most, right? Uh, he, he gave the, the bread to Judas who betrayed him and, and it cost Jesus his life. See, uh, when he said that, um, love one another as I have loved you, he added that and that gave definition to that amazing love. And then he said, by this kind of love, this unconditional, 
self-sacrificial love. All men will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Number three, love cures strife and keeps the dark kingdom out of your life. So how many know you're, you're see a counterbalance? You're, you're the answer to strife. Say, so you say, well, I got to go to work tomorrow, you know, maybe you Zoom and maybe you got all these people on your screen and you're working from home, you got a Zoom meeting and these people just aggravate you. I mean, here's one, they looking at you like, they're just looking to pick a fight. Here's another one, they're picking their nose. Here's another one, they're, you know, whatever. You, just, you know, they're not dressed well. You still got, you know, you, you think in the way they're frumpy because they're at home. And you got somebody else, they got to add it to, how y'all doing? I'm having a terrible day. And they're trying to spread the love, you know, that. So, so you're the answer, you're the counterbalance. And then just the way some people talk, they're looking to stir up strife. Have you noticed that? If they're having a bad day, they want to make sure everybody else on the Zoom call has a bad day. Or if you're in the office, hard copy, everybody's there. Same way, same stuff. So, so again, uh, angst in the atmosphere, watch this, is a telltale sign that the demonic is at work. Yes or no? So, so you know, and this is very real. You can walk into a, a home, I as pastor. Uh, it, <clears throat> really, what, my mind, what just came to my mind uh, my first, actually, the first thing I did uh, ministry-wise after Bible school was, um, well, second thing, I was in Tulsa, and I, I visited five churches, uh, five uh, hospitals a week, volunteering at a church while I worked a job after my second Bible school experience. And you go into the rooms, and sometimes, because it was a large, big, thousands of members church, People wanted us, requested that we go visit their um, uh, friends or many times family members. And, and a lot of times the family members just didn't want you there. They just didn't. And you never know, but that's not on the piece of paper I got. So I got 15 people to visit at five hospitals in Tulsa. So here I go to the first. I never know. And y'all, I can't tell you how many times you walk in a room. The moment you walk in the room, you feel the atmosphere. Have y'all been there? Or you walk in the house, you feel that. Many times I walk in, it's like, ain't much going to happen here right now. I just got to be nice. I don't need to preach because I might not have any head when I leave if I preach. Because that's how it feels. So I just get to know them, say something kind. Some people didn't want me to pray for them. I'm cool with that. You know, you just got to find out. You, you got to, in some social settings, you got to be all things to all men. If you spill all of your guts to someone, you're probably wrong. And if you've got to let people know how spiritual you are, how great you can pray, probably wrong. You know, a lot of times just being kind. Sometimes the kindest thing you can do is say, I found out hospital, visiting hospitals. Some of the kindest things I could do is say, y'all, I'm from so-and-so's church. I think it's a family member. Glad to see you. I'm so sorry this is happening. I'd love to pray. And they said, well, we really don't want prayer. I would say, well, I'm cool with that. So look. I'll just be praying for you, okay? I'm really glad to see you. I hope you have a great day. And I'm praying that God would really minister to you and bring you back to health, okay? And they say thank you. And even the thank you was like, get out of here as soon as you can. So that's the kindest thing you can do, right? So, so again, the idea here is there's angst uh, in social situations. When you feel the, uh, feel the angst, the strife is another maybe way to describe it. It's the demonic pushing back. And it's the demonic trying to keep anything positive from happening in the atmosphere that happens on the job, that happens in home life. 
It, it happens among your children, yes or no. One of the rules we had for our children, where we had three rules, number one, always, always obey all authority, and that means from your heart, you're nice, you're respectful. That's the idea we're looking for. And that is the uh, person at the grocery store, the teacher at school, school to school teacher at church, uh, it's mom and dad, it's grandma and grandpa, whoever else. Secondly, get along with your brothers and sisters. Get along. I don't know how else to say it, but get along with them. You know what I mean by getting along? Get along means respect them. Don't be fussing with them. I could have said, don't be fussing with your brothers and sisters. Thirdly was never, comma, ever lie. Second one is what I want to hone in on. I would not allow my children to fight. And I'd say, you got, y'all, if you got a disagreement, you got to talk it out. Because I'm telling you, your kids get in a fist fight every day and they'll leave hair on the floor. If you, is there, and scratches. And then they'll hurt the dog, the cat, the, you know, the bird, and they kill the fish if you got them. And so you got to find a way to curb it. So for me, I said, you know what? Strife is not going to be part. I didn't say this to them, but, but they figured it out later. Strife's not going to be a part of our house. You solve your problems. Did I do this, Sarah? You solve your problems yourself. If you part, so-and-so, start, I don't care who started it. If you participate, you're guilty. And, and you're going to get it equally from my, me. So straighten it up, guys. Come on. And that taught them to figure out and solve their problems. We weren't perfect at it. Nobody is, but that was the goal, right? So you got to do this across the board with everybody. James 3, 14 through 16. Where do I want to go? I'm looking at the clock. Let's see. Let's do... um, Let's do Passion Translation. I got several others there. But if uh, James 3, uh, 14 through 16, but if there's bitter jealousy or competition hiding in your heart, don't deny it and try to compensate for it by boasting and being phony. Hmm, that's really good. Verse 15, but that has nothing to do with God's heavenly wisdom, um, but can best be described as the wisdom of this world, both selfish and devilish. So wherever jealousy and selfishness are uncovered, you will also find many troubles and every kind of meanness. So King James says, for where envy and strife are, or New King James says, where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. So, so, so the moment I allow strife, if I walk into a room where there's strife, I am the counterbalance. And God's will for me is to try to find a way to absolve the strife. Yes or no? And what does 1 John 4, 4 say? You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So when you walk in the room, you don't say it out loud. Well, I got the greater one in me. Somebody gonna slap that greater one off your face. No, what you do is, hey, everybody, how you doing? And you're a counterbalance. Somebody just said something awful and everybody's full of angst and they're starting to spit the words. They say, you know what, it's a great day. We're going to have a great day. You know, what's, what y'all think? And somebody says something really bad, really surreal, and you say, well, well, you know what? And you know God will give you wisdom in the moment to say what needs to be said, yes or no. I refuse to allow strife. If you allow strife, you're allowing the enemy into wherever you are. So strife is as necessary for Satan and his kingdom to work as oxygen is necessary for a fire to burn. So if you put the, 
If you, you know, if you got a candle and just put a, an object over it, a, like one of your glasses, and stick it over a little small candle, the candle will quickly go out, no oxygen left. And that's what happens if you refuse to be involved in strife. Have you noticed there are a lot of personalities these days, they're looking to pick a fight because they're upset. And you know how many it takes to fight? Two. If you don't fight, can there be a fight? If a person tries to say things to raise your ire, what are we supposed to do? We don't answer back in kind, right? So we're going to get down to this. You ready? So how do you, how do you curb your tendency to strive? Now, if you're the person uh, that's kind of like been raised like this, you ain't talking about me. When I was little, they say, I'll cut your butt. Now, you're not going to say that. But you know what you will do? I'll get even with you. You can't outdo me with words. I'm going to prove it. You know what that, if you've got to, if you've got to have the last answer, you are a prideful person. How are you doing with pride? No, you don't have to win the bat, you don't have to win the verbal contest. So, so, so not to be a strife-filled person and to overcome strife-filled situations, you got to settle it that I don't have to have the last word. You know, I don't care what another person says. I'm not going to answer an unkind, terrible thing. I'm just going to be kind. That's not easy to do, and you got to practice ahead of time, right? So years ago, and I learned this um, when I first, and I found out uh, if you own a church staff, people can be mean as a snake on the church staff. No, nobody in our church staff is because they got halos and wings. I'm kidding. But we have 54 people at the first church I worked at, and I promise you, I thought some of them were of the devil. That's not true, but, you know, I thought as a young man, I was 24, 25, I thought they were, you know. So, and they made me mad. They would do things and say things like, wait a minute. And, and you know what? I found out it wasn't them, it was me. And so going into a strife situation, I had to learn to deal with me. The best thing I learned to do was, if I'm feeling anything but love, joy, and peace, I was listening to a, I told somebody this the other day, um, if, uh, if, I'm, if I'm talking to somebody and I don't have, I was listening to a cassette tape I was doing counseling and stuff, and I had to really shore up on how to do all that. So I listened to this tape by psychology said, Christian psychology. She said, don't ever talk unless you have love and joy and peace on the inside. If you don't have that, keep those lips tight. Shut up. He said, don't talk. And, and so I listened to that so many times, and he went over Philippians chapter 2. And uh, so I said, well, man, I, I'm not doing well with that. Every day it was something else. I found when I went... When I got a, a job as, as the, one of the pastoral teams, and a, a person on the pastoral team of, of, of a good-sized church, uh, I found out real quickly that I had a short fuse. I have a short fuse. And, and so the way I counteracted it was I'd go in my office, shut the door, say, God, you got to help me because I'm going to lose my job if you don't. I need help. I need a lot of help. I'm going to say the wrong thing. Mm, help me. Help me, Jesus. And I wouldn't open the door till I had love, joy, and peace. And then I figured out, you know, uh, we got kids at home. Susan's busy. She's frazzled. I'm going to come home. I'm just a needy man. I need my wife to love me, give me some tea, make me some nice food. And I figured out real quick, I don't need to open that door to my house till I'm full of joy. So I started jogging before I went home. I worked eight hours. 
I went over to exercise, took a shower, got in my car, went home. Hi, love, how you doing? Don't say anything unless you feel in love, joy, and peace, right? So don't leave home in the morning until you have your time with God and deal with yourself real good. Is that good? And then I figured out, and I've said all this before, I wouldn't send emails when we came, email became in vogue. It wasn't in vogue in the 80s, but as we got into the 90s, and here we are now, uh, email started being a part of the equation, text messaging. I would not say, I've, I've got lots of emails that you would never see because I won't let you. I never sent them. I never pushed the send button because I said stuff in there. I thought it was great at the, at the time I wrote it, look back at it. It's like, man, that ain't right. That is bad. That boy mad right there. And everybody that reads it is going to know he's mad. I ain't see, I can't send that. But 24 hours before, it's like, I'm sending that. They're going to get a piece of me. And it was completely unrenewed. See, so I, I didn't do that. So sometimes I have to wait as many as two to three days. Are you like that? Before I'll send an email to somebody I don't know, somebody that knows me, but I'm upset. So I have to calm down. And usually within 24, 48, usually at least by 72 hours, I've kind of figured out what got me upset, why I'm upset, what I was going to say that probably has too much edge on it. So the idea is, we're putting out the strife, we're not creating strife, right? So you do that with texting, do that with email, and do that in person as well. Don't have that meeting with a colleague unless you know you can do it right, right? Don't do it. Um, 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 1 through 3, let me see. I think I'll do this one, Passion Translation. Brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I found it impossible to speak to you as those who were spiritually mature people, for you were still dominated by the mindset of the flesh. Do you know a lot of believers are still dominated by the mindset of the flesh? Talking here about calming strife, not getting in strife. And because you are immature, uh, and because you are immature infants in Christ, verse 2, I had to nurse you and feed you with milk, not with solid food of more advanced teaching because you weren't ready for it. In fact, you're still not ready to be fed solid food. You know what he was saying to Corinthians? You're just babies. You're just little bottle-sucking babies. So and it's not a nice thing, but it is true. This is a hard way to say it. But if I'm a person who puts other people on edge, if I'm a person who has to have the last word, if I'm a person that raises other people's ire in the office at home, I am a bottle-sucking baby, spiritually. Slap, slap, slap. Yet, is, it, is that what he said? I'm a bottle-sucking baby. Have you noticed what baby? I got eight grandchildren. They're all sweet as pudding, pudding when you first meet them. Now, my oldest is six. Youngest is, uh, how old is Sage? Sage is one-year-old this week. So I got them all ages, six, five, four, three. Is that right? Two, one, yeah. And, um, and they're just sweet as pudding when you first meet them, but, but it gets about, uh, what time, Sarah, 6.30 at night, 6 o'clock at night. Their flesh starts winding down, and the, and the attitudes start going south. And that sweet little pudding pie is a mean snake. No! And screaming and hollering and kicking and clawing. Now, that's a baby. Did you know we have a lot of adult babies? If they don't get their way, everybody else is miserable. So if I'm that way, I am a spiritual baby. I'm a spiritual infant. 
You know churches are full of spiritual infants who have been sucking a bottle for 20 years? That's tough, isn't it? Is it true? I ain't coming back to your church. Well, you know what? I love you. But sometimes you got to call it the way it is. Now, I don't think anybody in here is that way. I really, I'm looking, let me see. No, I don't think so. <laughs> because if I thought so, I wouldn't tell you anyway. Right? So let me finish this. Uh, verse 3, for your living, uh, your lives dominated by the mindset of the flesh. Ask yourselves, is there jealousy among you? Do you compare yourself with others? Do you quarrel like children? And end up taking sides? If so, this proves you're living your life centered on yourselves. Dominated by the mindset of the flesh and behaving like unbelievers. Now, I'm telling you what, he, he tore them up, didn't he? So, and let me tell you what I've had to do with these scriptures. Seriously, go back to James 3. Go here to, to um, uh, 1 Corinthians 3. And just go to these passages. Just read real slow. And, and as I've done that with my life, God's tagged me on all kinds of attitudes I've had, self-centered traits. And you know what? I've been in Jesus over 45 years. And you know I still have self-centered traits rise up. Some of my staff team, I say, just leave me alone today. Just let me alone today. Have I done that? I have. I said, I'm on edge because something put me on edge. All of us have flesh and we have tendencies to go back to where we came from if we, if we, if we let ourselves get too tired or we're not prayed up as we should be. Yes or no? So be aware where you are, but we should see signs of growth. Yes? Yes? So again, babies are sweet until they don't get their way. So I'm going to skip some of this other Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. I've got to cut to the chase, cut off here soon. Um, Passion translation, again, be uh, free from pride-filled opinions for they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide your hearts but in authentic humility, watch this, put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. Abandon every display of selfishness. Now I like this last sentence. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. Is that good? So that starts with the people closest to you, spouse, children, brothers, sisters, grandma, grandpa, mama, daddy, whatever. You see what I'm saying? So how you doing? See, it gets quiet when you talk about this because this is where we live, right? I'm no more spiritual than I am at home. It's true. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. I would rather see a person that's real quiet when they come to church and they don't even do a lot of praise and worship. This is the day. And they sing a little bit. But they go home and they live the life and have a person that dances, shouts, sings, praises, and everybody hears them. Not all the time, but sometimes when people put on the big display, they're trying to make something up they don't have. Not, now let, let me straighten it up right now. Sometimes you genuinely have the joy of the Lord and you get loud. That's okay. But if you're trying to make it up to impress, you don't have anything. Well, if I've got something, I take it home with me. Yes or no? We should say that one out loud, don't you think? If I have something, I take it home with me. 
He gets in the car with me. He goes home and opens the door. He goes in the kitchen. He goes in the living room. He goes in the bedroom. It just goes everywhere. Isn't it great? Second Timothy 2.24, servant of the Lord. Y'all getting real quiet on me. Y'all okay? Let me see. I'm going to do this one, Passion Translation, because I've run out of time. So here we are. Stay away from all the foolish arguments of the immature. Wow. For these disputes will only generate more conflict. For a true servant of our Lord Jesus will not be argumentative, but gentle towards all and skilled in helping others see the truth. Having great patience towards the immature. 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 That just hit me. Did it hit you? Man. Then with meekness, you'll be able to carefully enlighten those who argue with you so they can see God's gracious gift of repentance and be brought to the truth. This will cause them to rediscover themselves and escape from the snare of Satan who caught them in his trap so that they would carry out his purposes. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Um, Stay away from the foolish argument. So, again, the whole goal here is not to get involved in strife. And the idea is, if you think about strife, just think about what can you do, do to rob the strife of its oxygen. Well, the first thing you can do is not answer in kind. And sometimes the best thing you can do is be quiet. If somebody's uh, giving a spit bath to everybody, uh, you know, eventually they'll run out of spit and they get, get a drink of water. And once they get a drink of water, you can put, say something kind, not defensive. And, you know, you don't always need to retort. A retort is when you've got to answer something somebody says. Again, in our culture today, people are really, have you noticed the angst that's rising? I mean, it's happening in the business, in business life, in social life. It's, it's, and it's in church life, too. People feel it, and it's, it's really hurtful, isn't it? And so so just, if, if, we're just, if we're just aware of that, uh, you know, when, before you ever leave your house in the morning, just, just have the idea, Lord, today my goal is, number one, to be, is to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, strength, and then love my neighbor as myself and be a peacemaker and, and be a person who's got, a, who's got something ready to starve the strife oxygen out of the room. And, and a lot of people today, because the family is so fractured. Did you hear what I just And people are in such disagreement. They're looking for somewhere to argue. Is that true? Y'all, I, I mean, if you just go in, in a, a public store to buy something, grocery store, Walmart, Target, I mean, you can overhear the conversations at the, at the checkout. Have you heard them? Or somebody fussing with somebody about something. Or, or you got to put a new tire on your car, it's that wherever you are. So again, be the person that's, I'm not going to allow the strife. Number four, and I'm going to stop with this uh, and look, let you go to my notes and look at number five because I'm not going to cover it tonight. Number four, Jesus introduced a concept of loving your enemies to his disciples. So here's the idea. When somebody treats me bad, God's will is that I treat them nice. Is that true or false? So how am I doing with that? Message paraphrase, I think I've got two I want to read. Here's message paraphrase. Jesus says, you know, they were saying eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Actually, the quote from Deuteronomy says, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. 
Then Jesus just said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. He said, but I say to you not to resist evil. And message paraphrase says, I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. For then you're working out your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best. The sun to warm, the rain to nourish to to everyone, regardless the good, the bad, the nice, the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. I mean, in the bar, I mean, gosh, I I haven't visited many bars because I don't drink. But I've seen them on TV. And then I, I, a few times I've walked in the bar because I was hungry and that's all that, uh, and, and there was a bar sitting over here. But you know, there's, people treat each other nice at the bar. Have you noticed? They'll scratch each other's back, say, I feel for you, bro. I'm sorry, man. Is that true? That's what he's saying here. You know, um, if all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. The word and what I'm saying is grow up your kingdom, your kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously, graciously towards others the way God lives towards you. Isn't that awesome? Now I'm going to read this and I'll be done. I'm done with this. Here's Passion Translation, really good. Luke 6, 27 through 36. And it's a parallel to Matthew 5. Um, but if you'll listen, I say to you, love your enemies and do something wonderful for them in return for their hatred. Mm. When someone curses you, bless that person in return. When you're mistreated and harassed by others, accept it as your mission to pray for them. Uh, To those who despise you, continue to serve them and minister to them. If someone takes away your coat, give uh, him as a gift your shirt as well. When someone comes to beg from you, give that person what you have. When things are wrongly taken from you, Do not demand that uh, they be given back. However, you wish to be treated by others is how you should treat everyone else. Are you really showing true love by only loving those who love you back? Even those who don't know God will do that. You're really showing compassion when you do good deeds only to those who do good deeds to you. Even those who don't know God will do that. If you lend money only to those who know you know, will repay you. What credit is that to your character? Even those who don't know God will do that. But love your enemies. 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 So, so love your enemy doesn't mean feel good towards your enemy. It has nothing to do with emotions. It has to do with what, we, what I say and what I do for them, whether I feel it or not. And that's not being a hypocrite. That's being real. Bible love is void of feeling many times. Right? So, y'all, I've been married this year 43 years. Can I say that every second of every minute of every hour of every day, I've had sweet, loving feelings for my wife, Susan, and she's had sweet, loving feelings for Michi Poo? No, there's times I wanted to chew her out, and she wanted to chew on me too and bite me. But we chose not to do it. But you know what? I love her more today than I ever have. And, and what you got to know is feelings come and go. And, you know, we got this romantic idea of love and marriage like, oh, it's always wonderful. No, sometimes it's just stinking miserable because you're pulling out the worst in each other. Is it true? But see, love is a commitment. 
Say everybody say love, love. is a commitment to say and do the right thing even when it's not comfortable. Jesus, I got to live that. Is that good? How you doing? So, you know, loving, loving your enemies. Wow. That means even when I don't feel it, I do it, right? Um, and again, I don't want y'all to misunderstand. I love Susan. She loves me. We have kissy face time. And, you know, we have huggy time and all the other that goes with it. And we love each other. But, you know, we're real with life. But, you know, if I didn't, I've had so many married couples that have said, uh, well, Mitch, uh, Pastor Mitch or Mitch or whatever place in life I was at the moment. Well, I just don't, just don't, uh, just don't love each other anymore. I guess it's all over. It's all over. We got to get a divorce. We don't love each other. You know what I'm hearing? I'm so self-centered. I'm not willing to take it. I'm not willing to hear it. And I'm not willing to love my enemy. Sometimes your enemy is in your house. Sometimes you're married to your enemy. Yeah, breathe. That's right. Breathe. (sighs) Is it true? It is true. Sometimes your kids, you love your enemy. Sometimes your friend's your enemy. Sometimes your boss is your enemy. Is that true? Hopefully not, but maybe sometimes your pastor's your enemy. Is he saying things you don't want to hear? God's not called me to love because it's convenient. He's called me to love because it pleases him. And it shows him to somebody. So I'm going to stop because I'm not getting all messed up. Am I willing to um, am I willing to put myself out when I don't get my needs met? Oh, at the job, I need recognition. I need accolades. I need the boss to brag on me. It's not happening. Will I, will I still love? Will I be that atmosphere calmer? Will I let the strife? Will I be the person that absolves the strife? Am I willing not to feel and do what I don't feel? Am I willing to put my bottle down and say I put my needs last and I put others first? Do y'all feel that? Let's close your eyes a minute. Lord, um, I just messed myself up somehow. I feel all messed up. I don't think I do this well sometimes. Lord, I just pray for me and all of us in this room as we go our way tonight. Lord, let that unconditional, self-sacrificial love rise up in us and help us not to be hooked on a feeling and be high on believing like the song said. Help us to love your way. And Lord, help us to put the bottle of the flesh aside. I don't need accolades from others, things from others. What I need is your caring heart and your loving eye ever watching over my life. You pray with me as we conclude. Heavenly Father, 
as I go my way tonight, I ask you to help me in every social situation, both at home and everywhere else, to put myself last, to put others first, and to not have to have a feeling to respond kindly and with love. Help me work through this. If I've been an instigator of strife, forgive me. Help me to break the habits that have caused me to be that way. Let your love rise up in me and bring change. In Jesus' name.